Welcome to Offstage with Jordan Baylor, where you'll discover the stories behind the movers and shakers in the entertainment and business world. Now here's your host, Jordan Baylor. Hey, how's everybody doing today? Welcome to another edition of Offstage with Jordan Baylor. Uh, I know it's been a quite a while between the last episode, and I apologize. As you know, everything's a little up in the air with the COVID-19 situation going on. And first and foremost, I'd like to say I hope everybody is safe and in a good place. And I know it can be very stressful financially and in the anxiety of everything. And it's times like these that we really just wish that we had our old problems. And uh, the perspective was like it was two weeks ago. We're going to get through this. You have to stay strong mentally and you have to stay strong physically as well because this is a very trying time. But we're going to get through this. On today's episode, I'm halfway through this book called Relentless by Tim Grover. And if you haven't had a chance to read it, I suggest you do because this book is phenomenal. It's written by Tim Grover. He's a sports trainer uh, for three of the greatest basketball players to ever touch a hardwood floor. Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, and Dwayne Wade. In the book, Tim goes in depth on the mindset that it takes to drive and become the best at what you want to do, the obsessive nature it takes, and the inner will to push yourself forward. Tim goes on to say that there are three types of people's mindsets that allow the focus, drive, and competitive nature it takes to become an absolute legend. That's why I like the book, because it just talks purely about mindset. One, there is the cooler the cooler is the type of person that follows everyone else around. They're the sheep in the herd. They follow what the majority feel and think, the iconoclast. Just someone who doesn't think for themselves. They just follow, you know, probably have shiny object syndrome. They follow the whatever is trending, whatever is hot and trending. You have the closer. This is what we strive to be. This is what the average person strives to be focused with a balanced life on our own terms and we hope to be great but the biggest issue is we divide ourselves up we divide our focus we divide our time we divide our wants we split our focus and we try and be great at a multitude of things versus being the absolute greatest at just one singular thing and then you have cleaners this is someone with an insane amount of focus to be the best and to compete at an all-time level. The Kobe Bryants, the Michael Jordans, and Dwayne Wades all contain cleaner mentality. A cleaner doesn't care whether you see them or not. In fact, a cleaner would prefer if you didn't see them at all. They don't care. It's not about you. It's about the work. So why am I talking about NBA players and mindsets and, and greatness? Because I had the opportunity to chat with Hiba Sharif, an extremely focused and driven CEO with whom I personally would consider a cleaner. She's someone who personally lit a fire under me and inspired my mindset to push past pain and know that I can do more. From Hiba, I commend her because I learned the fruits of mental toughness. And it is with great pleasure that I want you to listen and get inspired by the relentless Hiba Sharif. Hi, welcome to another episode of Offstage with Jordan Baylor. This is Jordan Baylor here. I have the amazing Hiba Sharif on the line. 
Hibba is uh, a CEO of Elevora, a tech company that helps companies of all sizes and niches scale up. Hibba was named one of Silicon Valley's 40 Under 40 by Silicon Valley Business Journal. And how are you doing today, Hibba? I'm doing great, Jordan. Thank you so much for having me. Again, this is Hibba Sharif. Um, I, um, I'm very excited to be here, very excited to share my experiences with everyone and uh, eager to get started. All right. So I'd like to start off every interview by asking, um, who is Hiba Sharif? Well, that's a complicated question. I'm mean, very <laughs> complex, uh, beautifully complex is how I've been described before, a multifaceted individual for sure. Um, I'll give you a little bit of background. Uh, my father is actually a career diplomat. So I was born and raised in many, many countries. And I actually lived in about five countries before the age of eight and speak you know, many, many languages because of it. But I, I continued to kind of travel the world uh, as the child of a diplomat until I, uh, it was time for me to go to college. And it was my dream to go to college in the United States of America. So my father is originally from Sudan, Africa. My mom is from Lebanon in the Middle East. And uh, I was born in Qatar, right? So definitely a lot of kind of international blood in me. And I, uh, I was just dying to go to school in New York. So at the age of 15, I graduated from high school at a very young age. And at the age of 16, I started college in New York City. And uh, it was like being dropped into a movie theater or like a, not a movie theater, but a, an actual movie, right? When you get mm -hmm. to New York and you're holding at the time, you know, before Waze and Google Maps and stuff, right? So we're holding this massive subway map, doing everything you're not supposed to do, like looking at the top of the buildings and looking people in the eye and, you know, just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's such here. a culture shock. <laughs> Absolutely. Major, major culture shock. So did you move by yourself when you were 16 or were you with your parents? I was with my mom. My mom made the sacrifice, got herself a job at the UN um, and uh, brought me in under her visa. Uh, my brother uh, was in um, was in Lebanon at the time. So he transferred his university to come to, to the States as well. And so I'm a, I'm actually an immigrant. The stars were just aligned. And in my junior year, I won the green card lottery. I don't know if you're familiar with that process, but yeah, my uh, every, friend um, won one. one exactly. Of my, one so of my every friends. year, the United States gives out fifty thousand uh, diversity visa lotteries, and this is basically to keep a very specific mix of people in the United States. Um, so, as an African, they're trying to get more Africans uh, in the country, and and I basically was one of those lucky few that uh, just got their green card uh, in the middle of my junior year. And um, I just, um, I've been here ever since, right? So it was supposed to be that I go to college, go home and start my life there, um, my career there. But then the stars were just aligned and I stayed. And I can't tell you um, how uh, different a life is. Every year that I reflect on this is a different, is just a phenomenal, uh, it's been a phenomenal experience. So again, I came here for college. I worked throughout my college education uh, not because I had to, but because I wanted to. Uh, and um, I started my career at Lehman Brothers on Wall Street. So I did a, had a Bachelor of Business in Finance and Information Systems. So fintech, really, before fintech was, was even uh, coined as a term. And um, I, uh, I joined Lehman Brothers um, the day before September 11th. So September 10th, wow. set foot on uh, One World Trade Center, the 40th floor, was so such an exciting time, you know. I'm this uh, 
um, you know, I think I was 20 at the time. And uh, I was going in and I was part of this really special program. We have this big binder. I remember this big finance binder of investment banking and all the stuff and mortgage-backed securities and, you know, getting orientation on September 10th. And then the next day we show up at the building and it was just sheer luck that I was in the building at eight o'clock in the morning that same day, getting my ID from downstairs and then hanging out until somebody from HR called us and said they need the conference room for a video conference with Tokyo. And so I ended up on the last ferry to Jersey City and then watched 9-11 uh, live uh, from across the river, like knowing I was there about an hour and 10 minutes before, right? That was the second day on the job, right? <laughs> Whoa. So, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, I have heard so journey. many crazy stories about people not being there or or like just dumb luck. They, their alarm clock went off late or like you said, you know, hey, I need that conference room. Or, you know, just like random stories and they just weren't in the store and they weren't in the building. That is so weird. That yeah, it, I know. I, I know. Well, the unfortunate wow. part is it did impact me quite a bit. Um, hmm. From a work standpoint, I mean, it was hard. We couldn't get home. I, I couldn't get home for days. I was stuck in Jersey now, right? And I'm a New Yorker, and, and getting a New Yorker <laughs> stuck in Jersey is the last thing you want to do. Um, but, uh, it, it was, you know, in hindsight, I can laugh about it. At the time, it was quite difficult, obviously. I lost some friends in the process. I had, hmm. you know, crazy stories myself of things. But I ended up walking to Hoboken and just hanging out with a group of people I've never met before for, you know, all day, we became really close for the coming years. But anyways, long story short, I spent five years at Lehman Brothers, uh, the first five years of my life, I'll call it battlefield training, right? Battlefield training mm. is like being given a gun and saying, go to war and fight, right? So you learn on the field, right in the battlefield. And so uh, every year, I feel that I spent at Lehman was like, five years in normal company and normal you know, time of, you know, in, in normal worlds, right? So mm -hmm. it was, uh, it was quite an interesting time. I grew uh, professionally and personally very, very quickly, uh, took on a management role very fast. Uh, but I played so many roles. But that's where I pivoted from the business to technology, right? And so even though I had the opportunity to join um, you know, kind of a business team and, you know, do, do stuff on the trading floor. And, but that was really my pivoting point into technology because we had to rebuild everything from scratch. Right. And I joined, I was a data architect. I was a database administrator. I did work with outsourcing at the time. It was like the beginnings of outsourcing as a craze to Wipro and Bangalore. Right. So that was like <laughs> the first company probably to, to actually do outsourcing back in the day. And, um, and just the Wall Street hustle, I'll say, right? It's the very, you know, it's, it teaches you a, a lot in terms of resilience and, uh, and just long days. It makes long days very normal, right? Um, mm. But I was always extremely active. You know, I was always extremely active, always doing stuff outside of the community, um, you know, doing a lot of social impact. Where I always loved volunteering and doing stuff with my university, um, so even throughout college, for example, I was always working at the Career Development Center. Um, uh, there was a program called Peers for Careers. Uh, so I was reviewing resumes, helping people figure out what their career paths are going to be. I was helping people with on-campus recruiting. Um, so I was always very actively involved with just helping others kind of figure out what they want to do, um, where they want to go. Uh, it's always been kind of a key passion of mine. 
Um, because in the process, I was learning a lot about myself as well, right? So five so years finding of women, the time. You were finding Sorry. the time to to help out all those people with the the resumes, their career paths, while you were navigating your own career in tech. While I mean, excuse me, in the business finance world as well as the tech world. Yes, I. You know, I look back today at how much I used to get done, and yeah. I, get done, I get a lot done today, right? But I yeah. look back at how much I used to get done, and it doesn't make any sense. I was in college. I was on the varsity basketball team. I was, mm-hmm. and by the way, I'm like five foot four, so I'm playing with six foot tall. Wow, like, you can hoop. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Those were the days when I could run. Right? You're when a competitor, huh? You're just an extreme competitor. Yeah, I that's what you are for sure. I compete you... with myself, though. That's the funny yeah. part, right? I just wow. compete with myself. Um, I mean, because you put yourself in such hyper-competitive worlds, I mean, between the finance world, which is like mostly male-dominated, especially in the early 2000s, I mean, and then to transition to the tech world, which is also heavily male, and you just go in both realms and you flourish, that is pretty wild, like, you know. I I love the challenge, right? So it drives me, you know, I'm the kind of person that's, you know, more of the challenge accepted kind of person, you know, that that's, that's always trying to challenge the status quo and saying, you know, you know, especially if someone tells me you can't do that, like, that's where, mm. you know, you got me, like, what do you mean? I can't do that, you know? <laughs> so, so, um, it's, it's actually, it's been, it's been a very interesting journey. So five years at Lehman brothers. Um, and then I moved to Accenture, uh, innovation and high tech Accenture at the time was like the number one uh, consulting company in the world. Uh, global company continues to be today, right? One of the best, you know, out there from a big consulting. I joined their innovation high tech practice, and I was kind of handpicked to be part of a group of people that built EMC Consulting. So at that time in 2006, e- uh, IBM was making 50% of its revenue from consulting. And um, I basically um, was part of a team that uh, tried to do the same to build out for EMC, what is Dell EMC today, kind of the largest tech company out there almost. Um, I I tried to build uh, along with that team kind of the consulting arm, an agnostic consulting arm for EMC. And we were we wore Accenture hats, but we we served as Accenture as EMC employees almost. Um, and so, uh, sorry, we wore EMC hats, but we were Accenture employees. Sorry about that. And okay. So, so question, can you, yes. hey, all right. So real quick, I want to interject here. Okay. So, uh, I, I've read a lot of business books and people say they're consultants, but it's, it's such a vague title. Like <laughs> I consult, but what, what does that mean when you say that you're the number one consulting company? What do you do for other brands? Like Ah, it is it is a very vague thing. And what I've learned over the years, it's that skill set is mm-hmm. actually extremely powerful and extremely important. Uh, in fact, as I continued to build teams over the course of the next 10 years, I've learned that consulting skills are extremely powerful to have. And so let's talk about consulting. Um, what I always found funny or interesting is that you might have someone who's fairly junior and be called an associate consultant or a consultant. And then you move from consultant to senior consultant, right? And eventually you make partner or you make, you know, a managing partner at the very top of the chain. Now, the more junior you are, consulting school, quote unquote, teaches you that the mindset is one where you might not know everything, but your mindset is one that you can learn absolutely anything. 
okay? Nothing is beyond learning. And so as long as you understand how to get the information, as long as you know who to tap, who to reach out to, and you have that, that uh, thirst for knowledge and thirst for finding information, which was a lot harder back then, because today Google is our best friend, right? But back then, it's how do you go out there and make the right relationships happen and understand enough about the big picture so that you know who to go to when you need information, right? It could be someone who's a peer. It could be someone in a different practice, as they're called, or someone in a different department, right? Um, but you know where to go. And more importantly, you know how to come across the clients so that you don't sound like you're, you're a know-it-all and you also don't sound like you know nothing. <laughs> so it's actually a very interesting thing. All it is is soft skills, right? Consulting skills, that's what I'm talking about. Now, being a consultant is being an advisor, right? So for lack of a better word, a consultant um, basically understands where you are today and focuses a lot on understanding your current situation, your current, you know, whatever it is. If you're a business, right, where, where is your business today? And understanding it in breadth and in depth enough that they can provide value, that they can add value because they know something potentially you don't. Consultants work across so many industries and so many companies, they get exposed to different problems, to different companies, different, different, across different countries, possibly like I have, right? I've worked across 30 plus countries. And so you, you tend to find themes and you tend to find and learn uh, things that are very similar, regardless of how mature, quote unquote, a company is, right? Mm. So a lot of like basic, I'll say proper consulting there's the basic approach of discovery and understanding where you are, analysis, comparing that to, to industry standards or best practices, and then uh, road mapping and recommendations, right? So, so based on where you are and where you need to be, what a consultant can tell you is how to get there, right? And so on average, like, you know, most, most proper quote unquote, proper consultants start with that solid understanding of where you are. And, and that's where the biggest challenge is. A lot of times people are ready to sell and solution and, 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 and do things without really understanding, um, and, and taking the time to really assess and evaluate kind of what the different kind of levers are, what the different criteria are for, uh, not criteria, but the different characteristics of a business, what the value proposition is, what somebody's trying to achieve. And many times, if we just follow what a customer comes to us with without doing our own assessment, we might be resolving a symptom and not the root cause. Mm. Right? So when you, get, when you get senior and you become a good consultant, you really can differentiate between an actual problem or a symptom that is actually caused by something else. So you said when you become a senior and you get good, was there, when you first started becoming a consultant, did you consider yourself a decent consultant or were you like, I suck at this, but I'm going to get good. Yeah. So it's, so when I, when I went into consulting, I was already a senior consultant. I was considered oh, okay. to have, you know, experience, expertise in, in one, uh, one area or another. Uh, my advice to people who go consulting is a great place to be. So anybody who has the capacity at a younger age to, to be part of kind of big consulting, they will learn skills that 
they will not have the opportunity to learn anywhere else. The exposure alone to different industries, different companies, different problems, right, different situations, and just working in groups of people. So, so for example, um, you might be on Project A in a ma major insurance company working on Project X, right? Sorry, Project A, like we're calling it ABC now. So Project A at major insurance company in New Jersey, for example, right? What you're going to learn in that project with the project team you're assigned, because the team changes too, like your consulting team, the manager that you're with, the other peers of yours, right? The project team is different. The company's different. The industry's different. Every project you work on, right? And so uh, you might be on project A learning something at this insurance company. Then the next project B is at a healthcare organization, right? Where maybe there's some parallel but mostly it's going to be all new. And so you're on these projects, two, three months, six months, et cetera, and you can't do that in a regular job. In a regular job that's nine to five in a specific company, in a specific industry with the same team and the same boss, you have the same problems that you're trying to solve, that's very, very, very different, the kind of exposure and the kind of work you end up uh, doing. And it kind of molds you into the person that, you know, that like for me, it's definitely had a major influence in who I am today, right? And so um, I spent a, a good chunk of time in consulting. I, I spent some time, I did time, I call it, I did time at Accenture, um, which I recommend highly that um, if, if somebody is early on in their career, um, to, to actually learn learn the ropes of consulting, right? What, what those skill sets, those soft skills of consulting at a Deloitte, a KPMG, a PwC, uh, you know, an Accenture, a Del you know, they're, they're all, they're all very valuable and they, they would give each of them either. of What them. are soft skills? Are soft skills like networking? Is it cold so calling? Like it's not necessarily, well, you, you kind of learn networking. So whether or not you're an introvert or an extrovert, so, you know, you, you do learn, uh, how to become an independent thinker, a problem solver. Um, you do learn how to become proactive, how to research, uh, how to um, uh, just, um, it, it's almost like, um, like the battlefield training I described, right? Mm -hmm. You end up on a project, if you're junior, you end up on a project and everything is a learning experience. You're just, you're just learning, right? But you're learning and you're getting good at it. And the next time you do it, you're getting better at it and you're getting better at it um, because you have the opportunity to do that. And the nice thing is if you are someone like me who gets bored, okay, um, and you want a challenge and you want to be consistently in this, in this learning mode, consulting is also um, the other uh, really good, um, good place to be. It sounds like consulting is like the... Um like the medical field of business because it's like a new problem, new diagnosis. You have to like, you, you, you're never, you're not trained. It's not in a book. You just have to like jump in with both feet and just kind of figure it out as you go. And yeah. You I mean, there experience. are things, there are things in books. There are things, there's approach and methodology and structure and all of that great stuff. Um, and when you get good, you start to develop it. Right. So for mm -hmm. example, I became really good at building methodology and building consulting offerings, like saying, here is a service we're going to provide to customers. Here's a consulting service. And, and that's what we did, right? When I said I joined Accenture and we built EMC Consulting, that's literally what I was doing. I said I started to build service offerings for EMC's customers so they can buy more services and more products, right? And so um, 
it, it was it, you 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 basically um, you you have to again you have to understand your customer and and identify almost in foresight like understand what could they possibly need and create a set of services around them and then put together the strategy to go to market with that service and then sell that service in and then price it properly, have the right team to deliver it, execute on it and learn from it so it gets better and better and better, right? So so that process is what I got really good at at Accenture and at EMC Consulting. Now, after spending um, five years at Accenture, I moved to, I had an opportunity to build EMC Consulting in Europe, South, Middle East, and Africa. So in 2008, the U.S. market was crashing. And, um, you know, funny enough, when the U.S. market was crashing, emerging markets were booming, right? So emerging markets being, you know, the rest of the world uh, that is not necessarily today known to make a lot of money or, or where all the money is. So Europe, South, so Spain, Italy, Portugal, Turkey, Cyprus, Greece, all of Africa, all the Middle East, that was the region. It's massive. Africa alone is 54 countries, but mm. you can't focus on 54 countries in two years. So I, I moved to Dubai. 50% of the world's cranes, I think, if not more, were in Dubai at the time. And there was, you know, there was a massive shift there, crashed completely in the U.S. So perfect timing. So I either left the States and because I left, it crashed or because I got to Dubai, like everything started booming. That's the story I tell myself. Because <laughs> okay? I left Lehman Brothers right before it crashed. Yeah. That doesn't yeah. exist anymore, right? Yeah. So maybe it crashed because I left. Um, but uh, but I moved to I moved to Dubai. It was a very interesting time. Again, culture shock. Moving from New York City to Dubai um, mm. was also another major culture. Now I speak the language, and I you know it's close to closer to home. It's a three hour flight to Sudan. Uh, but it was still a culture shock because I had been in the States all this time now. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the critical years that are forming me um, are done at this point. I'm an adult, you know, I'm in my, my 20s. Um, so I moved to Dubai and it was a very successful time. But we built up that business. I was responsible for building up the practice, the consulting business for EMC and um, built that up to $12 million in the first year, $15 million of new revenue in the second year. Really, really successful across, you know, 30 or so countries um, and um, building teams. Right. So that's when I started learning about, you know, I had my own P&L, as it's called, Profit and Loss Center. Uh, so I had the budget to manage. I had people to run to manage. And I always managed people. But this is different. This was another level. Right. Now, yeah. I spent um, two extremely exciting years there. And then in 2010, the market locally was starting to crash. People were leaving their Ferraris on the side of the road and like bailing, right? People were, so this is where <laughs> the global economy was starting to hit that part of the world. But uh, US was starting to recover. Now I felt, okay, it's time to come back to the States. So with my chess move that I play with, with like myself and my, my career every couple of years and I evaluate, yeah. reevaluate every year, um, I said, all right, it's, it's, a, it's a time to move back to the States. And when I moved back to the States, instead of moving to New York, I moved to um, California. I moved to Silicon Valley. Right? Okay. So I've been in Silicon Valley for about 10 years. I uh, have had, again, a continuation of very exciting consulting journey. Um, I started the cloud practice at Slalom Consulting um, based out of San Francisco and focused on, uh, you know, partnerships with uh, Amazon Web Services and but Slalom was disrupting consulting. Slalom is another amazing company with great culture. 
um, also growing very fast and becoming massive. But slalom uh, at the time was just starting, right? It was at the time it was it was kind of um, wasn't even an international company. It was just a national company, and they had you know a number of uh, re- local markets, and um, and we basically um, we basically uh, built out kind of more offerings and more services. I was focusing on and got interested in Silicon Valley, and this is where I started learning about startups, about investors about what a, what is venture capital what is what does it mean to be series B or series A or what is the what is this IPO business right and M&As and so it was quite an interesting journey as well in the last 10 years to get really good at that and to understand that ecosystem that is the silicon valley ecosystem and so what um, attracted you to that versus just staying in your your comfort zone which would be you know fine well i am attracted to anything that is not my comfort zone Right. So wow. personality wise, right. You, you mentioned yourself. I'm, I'm competitive. I, once I get really good at something, I get bored and I feel the need to get really good at something else now. Right. Mm. And what I try to find are tangential things that are related to what I was doing that, um, I can take the experiences that I've learned to date and then pivot to what is needed. Uh, if it's around me, um, in the, either in the in the workforce, uh, either around me in terms of demand, um, or just skill sets that I've I've gained over time that I can now use in a different capacity. So, for example, in my days reviewing resumes, right, people used to come to college and it was their first resume. They maybe had a single job at the Gap, right, and they would tell me, "I can't list the Gap," and I'm like, "No, of course <laughs> you can. Do you yeah. know what you do with the Gap? You have to." manage you have to fold these clothes in a certain way i mean i even made mcdonald's jobs sound good because you're dealing with 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 customers in a very specific way you have time that you have to you know time management skills that you need to build you Mm -hmm. have customer service skills you know so and and you can't screw it up because that's a time waste and you know so so there's all these skills that people don't realize are all transferable they're all transferable skills from whatever job you have, whatever experience and experiences you, you, you go through. And so everything that I've pivoted towards has been a buildup of experiences I've had in the past. So today, for example, and we'll talk about Elevoro and what it is I'm doing today, but everything I've been doing today has been a pivot from, um, from one, one maybe career to another, right? I started in finance, I moved to tech, but my degree was in finance and information systems. So that wasn't a difficult kind of shift. Um, I stayed in tech, I got really, really technical, but then I, I, used to, I realized that technology doesn't work without process, it doesn't work without people. So I started to get interested, interested in the soft side of things, right? And I started to look at something called IT service management. So like the people and processes that govern IT and all the kind of the bodies that, that the frameworks and all of that, that manage things. Cause tech alone is not interesting. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's exciting and interesting, but I've never been a developer. Like you put me in front mm. of a screen, I might be able to write hello world. Right. But that's it. Like I, I've never been a coder, but I can, manage- but you're the person in front of the computer that, that, that sells the software that the guy behind the computer made. You're the person that goes out and I gets it in sell- front of you. Yeah, I, I exactly. Sell, I do a, 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 an Eskimo. However, <laughs> yeah, I've cool. got to believe in it, right? I can't sell something I don't believe in, number one. 
Number two, it's, it's, it's not a, a hard sell. I'm not a salesperson. It's a soft skill, soft sell. Um, what I know how to do is, is manage the team that's building the software that's behind the computer. I know how to, 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 so again, these are leadership skills that I've learned over time where at some point it doesn't really matter what kind of team you're leading, right? Because leadership is leadership. Uh, but it's, I can't say I'm an excellent leader either because we are all developing, right? I mean, that mindset is one where, you know, it's one of continuous improvement and continuous growth. And so I've led wow. teams, uh, I've led teams of, of um, you know, technologists and, you know, information technology. So after spending that time at Slalom, I basically uh, moved into a role to manage a, high, the, the, a company um, in the fintech space called Opportune. I managed their technology and cybersecurity teams. And, um, you know, we took that company from 200 people to 3,000 plus people. The company, you know, has gone public. You know, it's a Silicon Valley dream. It's, it's just incredible to be a part of that journey. And um, I had a lot of learnings building teams. And um, I learned that, you know, leadership, when I look at the CEO of that company, Raul Vasquez, I mean, that is, he is a, a real leader. Um, and, you know, I had, I had, a, I have a lot to learn from Raul and, and I, I have, is he a mentor of yours? Um, he, he is, even if he doesn't know it, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> He's someone I learned from, um, even through observation, right? Uh, there are, uh, some people that I, I really admire and respect um, and he's definitely on that list of people. And so, um, and so be it leadership skills or, um, at that point, right. When you, when you've established your career enough and you've had enough exposure and experience, you realize that, um, it's, it's not all that different. If it's finance, if it's HR, if it's legal, if it's it leadership is leadership. Now it's difficult to manage a team whose work you don't understand, right? Mm. So I've always kept really close to technology. I've always continued to get my certifications. I've, I'm still, I'm cloud architect. I, you know, um, because I realized that I can't run a team of people whose work I don't get and whose work I can't challenge. And, and I can't provide value besides, you know, management. I don't want to manage people. I don't micromanage at all, right, in, in building teams. And so it's, it was very interesting, but basically I spent four years at, uh, at opportune and, uh, you know, I, um, it was my, my goal, my dream, right. When I, when I got here and I, I, uh, I had all these opportunities year after year, I was always thinking to myself, well, what, where am I trying to go? Like, what, what do I, what am I aiming for? And, and my goal was always to be like the, the most senior person responsible for technology and cybersecurity and all right, what is called a chief information officer, right? So that was my dream because the mm -hmm. typical CIO, you mentioned this earlier, it's a male dominated in industry in tech, right? There are a lot of female executives out there and, and, um, uh, there are, but they're unfortunately not in tech. There are a lot of CHROs, right? On the human resources front, a lot of general counsels on the head, like the head of legal services. There are lots of chief marketing officers who are women, not so many CIOs or CTOs, or, you know, again, in tech chief data officers or chief digital officers. And so, um, I was aspiring to become one and compete with your typical 50 plus year old, you know, white or Indian male. <laughs> 
right? Which is yeah. the typical, like I would go to conferences and there would be 200, you know, male CIOs and about 10 women, right? In those conferences. And that has changed a lot over the last, I'd say five to seven years. I'm, I'm seeing a hear. big shift. Yes. Big shift. Um, but, um, but shift happens, which is good. And, um, I don't know if you got that one shift happens, um, but, <laughs> but I, uh, <laughs> but I, um, I, I got there and when I got there at the age of 36, I said, now what do I do? Right. So now what do I do is, is now the inception of Elavoro, right? That's my latest initiative. Uh, and, um, you know, very, very excited about what I'm, what we're building together, uh, in this community. Because uh, that's what it is. Unfortunately, as much as yeah, it is a company and 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 everything, I, I I actually see it more as a movement. It's the future of work, right? It's my response to what's called the fourth industrial revolution, which has become another key interest of mine today. Um, over time, what I've become is more and more interested in the rest of the world, right? Don't get me wrong, like Silicon Valley is great, but what I've identified in being in Silicon Valley for ten years is there's a huge gap between Silicon Valley and the rest of the U.S., right? Even New York City and major cities like, you know, where you are, uh, you know, it, there's still a massive gap uh, with the, the I, I don't like the word ecosystem, right? But in, in, this, in this very structured, um, small and intimate city or, or set of cities that comprises mm-hmm. the Bay Area, um, and, um, and, uh, the rest of the world, it's even a much bigger gap when you compare it to the rest of the world. Now I've become also, um, having worked at opportune, which is a mission driven company, I learned that it's, it's really important to, to work somewhere where your mission is bigger than just making money, right? When you have a sense of purpose. So we're talking about a building something that's profitable, but also, on the intersection of profit and purpose, right? Profit with purpose is really the big Was that thing. the first company where you learned that type of um, work mindset? Opportune definitely taught me that at another level, right? Um, I can tell you that because I've been volunteering my whole life, that I always sought to have purpose beyond whatever day-to-day job I had. So if it was volunteering at college and tutoring people, if it was volunteering um, with children or with women um, in leadership organizations, mentorship was always a big thing for me um, throughout. I used to always volunteer to head up. I used to head up communications, for example, uh, internally for Accenture. Um, I used to do a whole bunch of volunteerism because I felt like I needed a bigger purpose to connect people and to, to, to teach and to share knowledge and to learn from one another, for example, those were Mm -hmm. always big on my agenda. And I found that that purpose is definitely far more important than just making money. Wow. Yeah. I am like, I feel like I don't do nearly enough with my day. I mean, after hearing (laughs) everything you've done, I'm just like, wow, I, I guess, I guess. Fuck sleep, right? Like, what is sleep? I, <laughs> Do you I sleep? sleep? I sleep plenty. I think part of it is just, um, and and I'm I'm not gonna say I'm organized. I'm not gonna say I do a really good time management. I know people with structure and discipline that are far more disciplined than I do. I actually wonder sometimes 
if I were to be more disciplined, how much more I would accomplish, right? What I have is ambition and perseverance and, and grit. I have, um, I have an opportunity that's been presented to me to be here, to do all this, an opportunity that, you know, we are all lucky to have every day. And, and if I don't capitalize on that opportunity, it's an opportunity missed. And I feel that, you know, I, as long as somebody is resourceful, as long as they're proactive, um, as long as they are um, continuously trying to become a better person, learn, grow, that potential is, is, is endless, right? You can actually go in any direction. There are plenty of people who will guide, who will support, who will help, but they won't just do it. They won't chase you. You have to go and find those people yourself, right? So if you are looking to do more, if you are ambitious and you're trying to, again, your, your, your goals have to be beyond money because those people that are going to help you, they're going to know right away whether or not you're worth helping. And if all you care about is money, then you're going to find less people to support you. If you have a sense of commitment to something that goes above and beyond you, that is a bigger picture, uh, that you'd like to make social impact, that you'd like to make and drive change, believe me, you become a magnet for those people that are similar in values. And that's really kind of one of the founding principles of everything that I'm building right now with Elavoro, right, is, is I'm looking for people to build a community, right? I'm calling it a community because it is. And I'm calling them leaders because they are, right? And so it's a community. It's a global community with people who are trying to drive innovation. And innovation is not technology. People have this thing where they think technology is innovation or they think mm -hmm. it's one and the same, right? Technology is an enabler. It's a, there's nothing new about technology. It's been around for a very long time, right? Even AI, like that's been around for, it's not innovative. What's innovative is when you use that as an enabler, right? To drive change, to challenge the status quo, to say, hey, just because we've, all, we've always done it this way, doesn't mean we always have to do it. And to be okay to fail, right? To fail fast, to fail hard. I can tell you one of the things that, um, as I was building teams, one of the main things for me that, um, that always uh, allowed me to compete in the Silicon Valley market is that we weren't afraid to, to just spend a percentage of our time just failing and, and, and just saying like, we're going to try this and if it doesn't work, we're just going to move on and try again or do something different. And it wasn't a failure, right? It was just not successful yet, right? Mm -hmm. And so that mindset, that's an innovative mindset, a growth mindset. And so for me, it's not successful find... yet. I love that. I yeah. love that. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, all, I mean, Michael Jordan, all these guys that, that will, you know, are successful today. Like you, you've probably seen or heard all these quotes about success and failure. I know, um, you know, uh, a lot of books have been written about, you know, quote unquote failure that there are, we may make mistakes, and as long as we don't continue to make the same mistake over and over and over, right, then it's insanity. Then it's like trying to do the same thing over and over and trying to expect different results. It's about doing something and if it doesn't work, changing, pivoting, you know, trying something else and, and continuing to 
to, you know, make the change until something works, right? And it's not throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks either. Like it's not, it's not, let's try everything either, right? It's, it's calculated <laughs> yeah. risk taking. It, it's still calculated risk taking. But so my you know, question you, to that is, sure. is when did you know it was time to branch off and do Elevora? Like, when did you know it was time to branch so off Elevoro, and do your own thing? Sure. Elevoro, so, excuse me. No worries. So Elevoro, um, so, so one is after, after four years at Opportune, right? Your typical CIO typically lasts like three years, right? Three years and people get a new one or whatever. And, and so after four years at Opportune and, and, and the company, you know, being successfully public, I had two options, you know, option number one was to continue doing the whole C-level thing and working for another company and just continuing to, you know, be a leader. I had a second option to uh, just go back to consulting, for example, and get exposure again to more industries, more problems, and just get back into that mindset of continuous learning. But consulting, um, you know, there's different kinds. You can actually, um, uh, it's kind of interesting. You can either live out of a suitcase. Right? So if you work for a Deloitte or an Accenture, there's prestige that comes with that and everything, but your clients could be all over the nation. And you could be traveling every Monday, every Thursday, as consultants, most consultants do, and living out of hotels and away from family. I know I wanted stability and I didn't want to travel as much. Uh, little did I know I'd be traveling a lot, building a global company. But uh, I, I didn't want to intentionally go in knowing I'm going to do a Monday to Thursday kind of travel schedule. And um, and then the other the other option would be to venture out as an entrepreneur and do the best of both. And that's exactly what I've decided to do, right? So I basically, um, trying to build something that is disrupting, disruptive in nature, right? Cause I'm a disruptor. I like, I'm, I'm, I'm the, the person that wants to, to do it before everybody else, right? I'm, I'm that innovator, that disruptor. And, um, and it may not be successful, like I said, right? But but it's worth a try because it's calculated risk taking is how I see it. We're, we're, I'm not reinventing anything. I'm not inventing or reinventing anything. I'm just taking things that I see very clearly that work, things that don't work, making sure that I don't do those things, right? And putting together my own formula. It's an art. And so Elevoro in its in its inception, you asked, like, how did I know to do this? One is, yeah. I decided to take a chance on myself, right? Everybody else is taking a chance on me, right? Why can't I take a chance on myself? And so that, that was number one, is do I have the confidence uh, in myself to make this work, right? Given that I've been successful in other endeavors with backing from massive companies behind me, it's a massive risk to go into business on your own and try to do something without the backing of a massive company behind you, right? So mm -hmm. if, I, if I'm starting to build a consulting business for EMC and I've got Accenture behind me and they're telling me if it doesn't work, you know, we'll do something else, it's a very different story than me trying to build consulting services and it's just me and we don't know how it's going to work out. It's a very big yeah. risk. But it's a risk. Yeah. That I'm taking on me, right? Now it requires you to. Um, again, it's it's a, it was a difficult decision. I can't say it wasn't. It was an easy decision. It was just a you know kind of a flip of a switch, and this is what I'm going to do. But I've been thinking about this for years, right? 
Hmm. I've been wanting to start my own business. I have an entrepreneurial mindset. And the way I used to, I used to get my fix is I used to be an advisor to companies, right? So okay. I would work with a lot of entrepreneurs, even when I was a CIO or whatever, VP of IT at, at Opportune. And, um, and I would advise companies and I would advise investors and I would, you know, get my fix by, by just getting little hits, you know, of, of, of those, those things with entrepreneurs, right? Getting kind of understanding how it works, what they're looking for, understanding the market, understanding VCs. And, and then I said, you know what, like consulting, I've learned enough to now be a quote unquote, a senior in this. And I think I can do it on my own now. So it's not like a haphazard thing. It took years of planning, even conceptually what I'm building um, because it's so different, because it's unique in the model, I'm mm-hmm. I'm calling it a movement for for a reason. It's it's what I feel is the future of work. How how I, we're building this thing is really because there are so many more entrepreneurs out there, and there are so many more investors out there, and there are so many freelancers out there, and B two B companies, and everybody wants to have their own company. This model is what solves the issues of consistency, of quality, of you know, delivering things and giving access uh, to top talent in a way that typical companies of the size of companies I'm working with, small businesses, mid-sized companies, nonprofits, they don't have access to Accenture. Like if they wanted to bring on somebody from Accenture, the rates are too high for them. And Accenture may not care so much to onboard them because it's too much work potentially to keep the relationship going. For such small markets, it doesn't even make sense to fly somebody from New York to to support a nonprofit somewhere, right? Don't get me wrong; I'm sure they they help out and they do a lot of work for nonprofits. I actually know somebody that does. Uh, you know, I know KPMG is working with with somebody, um, a client of mine, but um, that's not their bread and butter, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what I've realized is there's a huge gap, and so the way I started this is 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 by looking at you know, something else I learned is first asking, what is the problem we're trying to solve, right? And I identified a number of problems. There are so many startups that are starting up and that those are the ones that are driving innovation. And if we are going to find a whole bunch of companies with shared values like mine, they have to drive innovation and improve lives or care at least about humanity. So if they're just in the business of driving innovation for the sake of making money, you know, it's, it's kind of like I have the ability as my own business to say no short, no service. You know, I, I, I don't necessarily want to work with them. They're not my perfect customer. You know, Mm -hmm. I I will, I'm not going to say no to business obviously, but my perfect customer is one where a company that's small, that maybe is not in Silicon Valley because they have access and is somewhere else across the nation or around the world. And this is where I have a lot of global customers now. Because what I'm trying to do is make affordable talent available to those companies that deserve it the most and don't have access. And that's so, something I learned from Opportune. So when you first started and you first branched out and bet on yourself, of course, did you already have a like a good relationship with like several burgeoning companies or was you just starting from scratch? From a customer standpoint, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. From a customer standpoint. I started from scratch. I started from scratch, but I, I felt confident having built consulting companies before that I knew how to start. 
Like I was less worried about acquiring new customers because the model is one where there's no heavy capital investment in consulting. Like I don't have to, I mean, there's some investment, like there's a Mm -hmm. brand that I have to build. There's a, there's obviously marketing and a website and, you know, a, a logo and trademarks and, you know, whatever it is and a methodology. And there's a lot of time and effort that gets put into it, but it's not, it's not like I have to buy 10,000 widgets that I need to sell or I need, I don't yeah, need to true. build software and I need to spend millions, six to eight months runway to build software that works a certain way before I can sell a product. Like that's not it. It's pure consulting services. Now, do I sell products and services? Yeah, but they're not mine, right? Do I deliver cool things that are built and manufactured? Yeah, but they're not mine, right? So I'm advising, I'm the middleman, I'm the glue that holds it all together. But more importantly is we've decided that we are beyond glue, right? We are the custodians and the owners of the relationships, the accounts, the customer success, customer engagement, the partnerships, and every partnership and alliance that we have is one where we go to market together. It's not a subcontracting thing. It's not like the customer doesn't know that I've got somebody else working on it, right? It, it's, it's that we choose as partners to create an interdependent relationship and go to market together. Um, and the customer is aware. It's not a subcontractor type thing, right? It's, it's actually, again, when I talk about the future of work, it's a new way to do business um, where I'm focusing on startups and mid-sized companies and nonprofits. I'm focusing on smaller investors, right? Because the the other big trend that's happening is there are a lot more investors today than there ever was. Because now with crowdfunding, anybody can invest in anything. Like it used to be this black box. Like back in the day, you used to have a broker, remember? Like everybody had a broker and unless you had a broker, you couldn't trade and you have to tell them, you know, whatever. And now with with robo-investing and and all this stuff online, you just get on an apps, Robinhood, yeah. Yeah. You just get on an app and all of a sudden you're an investor. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and anybody can buy anything. And if you're smart, you can read up on it online. It's all available, right? You can go you can to- take any- a course. Exactly. So, so lot, times have changed. And what I've realized is, although times have changed, our models of doing business haven't, mm. right? And so that's that's what I'm addressing. So what do you feel like is the biggest strength of your company right now? Agility, right? Just like my biggest strength is agility and adaptability, I'd say it's agility. So for example, let's talk about COVID-19. We're all in lockdown right now, right? (laughs) Yeah. How do I take a business that usually needs face-to-face interaction and, and become agile and nimble enough to pivot and continue to stay in business so I don't, you know, fold like every, like other businesses of my nature. It's like a typical business, a typical consulting business might be on hold because the first thing a company is going to do is put the brakes on consultants. Mm. So how do I do this differently? Um, I say, great, what is the problem that COVID-19 brings, right? And what do small businesses need to succeed to make it through COVID-19? And so all of a sudden, I'm building offerings to keep businesses alive during this crisis, right? Wow. So if, it's a, if they said, hey, restaurants are not going to have seating inside, 
and they're going to only have delivery. Well, you know what? If you're a restaurant and you don't have a digital way to take deliveries and you don't know how to digitize your restaurant business, we can help, mm -hmm. right? So with our partnerships, so literally, I'm starting to create partnerships because, again, the premise of Elavoro is I am not here to be successful. I am here to focus on the success of others. And as long as other people are successful, other companies are successful, we will ultimately be successful because we're partnered together, right? Because we're in this together. Can you say that one more time? I okay. love that. Sure. So the premise of Elavoro is that uh -huh. we are going to focus on the success of others, okay? Because even though we may be successful on our own, we are going to be far more successful if we focus on the success of others and do it together. Wow. That's what you get. I mean, that you, if you want to help people, I mean, if you want to get a lot of money, you have to help other people get what they want. Exactly. And um, so many people come from a place of uh, me, 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 I need, I need when they go and ask for something rather than me coming to you and being like, Hibba, how can I help you? you know? Exactly. Exactly. And you can, in return, you could potentially give me what I want, you know, exactly. but I, ga I gave you from a sincere place, you know, exactly. so it's working. So, so, so take COVID-19, like what's, what's mm -hmm. making a Lavoro successful today is I'm looking at the market and I'm saying, what has changed with COVID-19? We have a heavy reliance on telemedicine, telehealth, right? Telepresence, like just converting businesses to be able to work remotely, right? Yes. Digital transformation in, a, in the, the simplest form, okay? Uh, taking a restaurant that doesn't have, like I said, right, uh, delivery orders. How do we get them online? Just education. All these kids that are home, right? How do we mm -hmm. arm the parents with the right technology tools uh, so that they can, they can have a structured uh, schooling system for their kids at home all of a sudden, right? And so it's partnerships with companies like ECD Hub, Early Childhood Development Hub, for example. This is a patented technology company. They were in the uh, Startup Grind Accelerate program. Startup Grind, by the way, um, Lavoro is a, uh, a global partner and sponsor of Startup Grind. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with Startup Grind, but, you know, 4,000 plus startups participated and, um, you know, narrowed it down. The global conference was recently. I met these guys. And they're phenomenal, right? For Farid Pramani, um, he has a robot and patented technologies and an incredible company that he's building around the future of education, right? And and so all of a sudden, he's changed his model, right? And he's saying, because everybody's home, I'm going to provide all my courses at a very discounted rate online. And so now there's 2,000 plus courses uh, from zero to eight, for children on ecdhub.com, right? Uh, likewise, uh, another company is uh, in the in the business of um, of changing mental and uh, physical health and making practitioners available over um, other you know over over video, right? So instead of having to go to the doctor's office, is how do I now start talking to the doctor the way I'm talking to you right now, right? And so. I'm pivoting and that's what I'm what I'm good at is the agility and the pivoting that that I can that we can do in in times like this being nimble wow. and agile being agile so this is this has been like an amazing conversation I've learned like 
you dropped so many value bombs on my head. I'm not even, I'm like sweating over here, <laughs> but I have a question. Um, what is, what's the best advice you ever received? Best advice I've ever received. Actually, different times in my life, I've received different advice. You know, there's always the, so I get, um, I'm a very emotional person, right? And I, I can tell you that um, I'm a people person, obviously, just like I'm saying, Elevoro, it's all about the people and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally, it's because I am uh, definitely uh, somebody who's highly emotional. I remember Peter Jones uh, at, at Lehman Brothers, and he gave me advice that in the beginning of my career, I should focus on making money, okay? And I should move around as much as possible. And because those increases I would get in my salary, I can't get from the same company. So at the beginning of your career, when you're looking for the 25% increases, the 30% increases, you're not going to get that from one company. And so, you know, the strategy I had was not necessarily the best strategy of the first job I had, I stayed in one place for five years. The next job I had, I stayed there for five years, right? So in, in earlier points of career to move around, obviously not every six months either, right? But a good time yeah. is probably two years, right? Okay. So that that's really good advice for for people who recently graduated and and starting their careers um, is spend some something like two years somewhere and then move on do something different just learn something new you don't have to just get good at that thing so if you started in network it doesn't mean you just move on and become a senior network guy in the next job like you can but there's a lot of you you don't know where where your career is going to take you, right? I, I mm-hmm. have a bachelor of business and I'm not necessarily doing, I didn't use it until I started my own business, right? Today. Like, so, um, so that's one word of advice. The second, the second one I got around my emotion is just keep your head down. So, so don't let everything happening around you affect you so much. Okay. You are only in control of yourself, and how you react. Now, this is advice that is very critical because I'm someone who worries, who's anxious, who thinks like I have to have solutions and plan A's and B's and C's for everything and poke holes and everything until it's flawless, right? And that is not serving anybody. So I'm learning to slow down. I'm learning to like only focus on the things that I can control, okay? And I'm able to then react the right way and pivot. And this is a continuous journey. I'm not hundred percent there yet. I'm still, you know, I'm still worried about things that are outside of my control, but that's, that's advice that I'm taking to heart that I need to focus only on the things that I can control. I and think that's something a lot of people can run with uh, during this coronavirus because it's shown the world that you don't control as much as you thought you controlled. Exactly. Like it's really, it's, this is a gut check to a lot of people's egos. Like they're just like, Oh my God, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and all yeah. you can do is focus on you and how you react, right? How you react to it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think, and I know you only asked for one, one piece of advice. I think the only other, um, kind of advice that I'd say has been extremely helpful to me, um, has to do with discipline. And that's one I'm also trying to learn and get better at, um, having a, having structure in one's life is extremely important, right? Uh, when I became um, somebody without discipline, 
I regained, so I, I went through a massive transformation personally. Like I've lost 130 pounds over the last six years or so, right? 130 pounds is just half of me. Like I'm half of my size. Um, and so those types of things, right? Um, I needed a lot of discipline. I needed a lot of um, commitment and and just sticking to something for a long time. So part of it is just just staying focused and staying strong um, and having the discipline. When I lost my discipline, I went off the wagon. I gained weight. I stopped sleeping well. It affected my productivity. It made me unhappy, right? And so now that I've regained my discipline and starting to get a schedule back on track and getting kind of my life in order in terms of the structure that it needs for success, there's a very specific structure you have to have to feel accomplished, to get a lot done, uh, to feel energized. You know, those are really, really important things, but it starts with you. Like it's all about you at the end of the day, control. The only things you can control are you. So, so this last piece and having discipline also has to do with controlling only the things that you can control, which is you. Wow. How, uh, did you develop that self-discipline to go ahead and lose 130 pounds? Well, um, now it gets a little personal. The catalyst for me was that my father developed uh, stage three colon cancer and we were all morbidly obese on the, in the family. And so I learned that obesity actually is a catalyst for all of these cancers. And, um, and I said, Hey, even though I'm healthy, uh, I, I, you know, and I don't have prediabetes or I don't have any of those symptoms and I was still pretty active. Right. Uh, I, again, I went from being a, an athlete in college to gaining all this weight because I was so focused on work. And now only recently have I found the balance only recently in the last few years, have I found the balance between health and well-being and work, right? You, you can't have one without the other. And so um, it's, it's, it's become a very, um, uh, you know, the, the, the catalyst, again, the trigger was my father, but, but I, um, I also saw how much more energy I had, how much happier I became, right? There's a lot of self-confidence that, that is impacted when you don't feel good about yourself. And so it's incredible how much just, just dressing a certain way, just taking care of oneself and practicing, you know, self-love and self-care and exercising and doing all those things kind of have on you. You know, I, I was listening to, um, Jim Quick. I don't know if you're familiar with Jim Quick from uh, Mind Valley. Mind Valley is a, a oh, really yeah. nice online, um, platform. And so taking Jim, one of his, uh, mind brain brain, uh, he always has the brain exactly, courses. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So Jim Quick is that guy. So he has something called power hour, right? Is that, you know, I used to wake up and the first thing I do is I, I look at my phone and I'm in reactive mode. Like I literally wake up and I'm already in reactive mode before brushing my teeth, before doing anything. So he has something called power hour, right? And it's taking basically the first hour of your day and saying, you're going to do 20 minutes of exercise, 20 minutes of journaling or meditation or, or something that's kind of reflective. And then 20 minutes of forward looking learning and development type stuff. And that hour is sacred and, and, and you, you know, you can do it in the morning, which is what he suggests is the best time or do it any time in the day. And like, that's your time. That's your hour. Um, I'm trying to get to the point where I have the discipline to do that every day. Um, yeah. it's definitely, definitely it's, it's hard. Made I did it for like two weeks and I, and my productivity like went through the roof, but then I don't know why, but I just 
went back to my old habits of you exactly. know first thing you looking at my it. phone it's called yeah. habits they're called yeah. habits you gotta just habits. build a habit yep. Yeah, yep you're right and um one last question how can the people get in touch with you sure so um I think the easiest is actually to reach out at uh, info at elevoro.com. So info at E-L-E-V-O-R-O, E-L-E, Echo, um, Echo Lima, Echo, um, Victor, oh, I forgot what is, oh, Oscar, <laughs> Oscar, um, uh, O-R-O. Um, no okay, worries, I'll come. put the... I put the e- uh, the email inside the show notes. Perfect. As well. Info at elevoro.com. Perfect. Perfect. Hey, Jordan, it was a pleasure being on the on your podcast. I uh, really had a blast. Uh, thanks Same. for letting me share my story. Thank you so much for your time. This of has course. been an a, a amazing episode. Like, of thank course. you so much. Awesome. All right. You have, have a great week. It a little bit, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's filled with nuggets, though. All thank right. you so much for your time. Perfect. Have a good one. Bye. Uh Bye. Thank you for listening to Offstage with Jordan Baylor. Now go forth and create.